listening to Kevin McCullough Radio. Breaking news as it happens, what it means, and why it matters. Uh, Kevin McCullough, and here we go. Five, Fusion. Amplifying truth and pursuing clarity. Kevin McCullough, now, now. All right, uh, a host of important conversations today. We will check the markets. Hillary Kramer is going to be here, and he's an African American running for president of the United States. Is it a wise thing? Larry Elder, my very good friend and someone who has a great passion, joins me this hour. Kevin McCullough. Something interesting is happening with this. Kevin McCullough, let me start with you. I found this thing at townhall.com by Kevin McCullough. The big dog has come out of nowhere. Kevin McCullough. I just want to help people think. Nationally syndicated radio host and author of No He Can't. He is playing the role as as well as anybody could. Kevin McCullough is a nationally syndicated radio host and author of No He Can't. The odds are he's right. It's Kevin McCullough Radio. All right, my next guest is someone who has done the courageous, almost the unthinkable. He has thrown his hat into the ring to run for president in 2024 in a day and age in which everyone's saying this is going to be the matchup of two old men at the end of the road. Could there be someone very different uh, in the mix? That is the uh, hope and the ambition of one Larry Elder, who is not only uh, a fantastic uh, spokesperson for the things that he believes but also I consider him a good friend. Larry, it's great to see you. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. The last time we spoke, you had just come off of a brutally uh, intense number of short weeks running for governor in California. Uh, my listeners may not completely remember all of the circumstances there, but you, even though you did not win, you fared quite well. In fact, in the it's a two-part election. In the second part, you took 57 of 58 counties and got nearly 4 million votes statewide. Um, I'm sure that some of this is the basis for why you've made the decision and the announcement to run for president. But can you go a little bit deeper into the thinking behind it all? Well, that's exactly what it is. I, I got into the race very late, Kevin, with only eight weeks left. And in eight weeks, I raised $27 million, more than all the other replacement candidates combined. As you pointed out, California has 58 counties. We carry 57. By the way, the only one I lost, Kevin, was San Francisco. (laughs) I lost that by less than 200 votes. It's been one dime or one uh, minute uh, there, uh, and we almost carried that county. Uh, And the party wanted a guy named Kevin Faulkner, the two-term mayor of San Diego, uh, the state party uh, wanted somebody named Kevin Kiley, who's now in uh, in Congress. He's in the Sacramento area. I carried San Diego County by 30 points, and I carried the areas where uh, Kevin Kiley uh, now governs by also between 20 and 30 points. So by any stretch of the imagination, it was an extraordinary race. No one has won anything Republican statewide in California in over 20 years. And that's well, because, that- because the math is so daunting. There are... Uh, for every one registered Republican, there are there are three non-Republicans. Uh, and so it's almost impossible to win. The reason I did it was because it was a recall election. If the ball had carried the right way, I could have gotten in with as little as 25 or 30 percent of all the votes cast. And then my hope is I would have been in Sacramento for two years before the uh, re-election, and they would have realized that I don't have horns, I don't have a tail. I have some ideas about what to do about how we should have handled the uh, coronavirus pandemic, what to do about schools, what to do about homelessness, and how to reverse the fact that in the last couple of years, 500,000 people have left California uh, for the sunny climes of Texas, Florida, and other places. So that's really what informed the decision. And half of the uh, of the donors 
Kevin, there were 150,000 of them. Half of them came from outside of California. And so when the race is over, I go to Key West to chill out, lick my wounds. And um, Elder, we, I, I followed your race. I gave you money. Uh, drinks are on me. Uh, dinner's on me. That's why I gained almost 10 pounds. Haven't been able to lose it. <laughs> so many people, Kevin, said, why don't you run for president? And at first I thought they were smoking something. But the more I thought about it, and the more I felt the same way about California, that I felt I had a patriotic, a moral, and a religious obligation to give back to a country that's been so good to me. I would rather not spend my winters in Iowa, not spend my winters uh, uh, in New Hampshire, not take the financial hit that I'm taking, but I feel that I would be shirking my responsibility uh, as a citizen if I didn't do what I think I can do. I know that I have something to offer. I know I have something to say. Let, let's talk about some of the uh, micro stuff, and then I'm, I want to get to a couple of macro questions that you're go- you're going to have to answer somewhere. So that you may as well answer them with me first. Um, but let's talk about the uh, the RNC announced debates uh, today, and there's a couple of them coming up, and there's probably going to be a metric to make that debate stage. And in, my guess is it's going to be a certain number of donors to. Uh, a political action fund uh, to date, and it's going to require maybe 1% registering in a poll somewhere. Do you think, as we sit here right now, uh, and they're a ways off yet, do you think you can get to that threshold in enough time to qualify for the first two? I do. Uh, As far as name recognition is concerned, as you know, Kevin, I've been on radio for 30 years last several years, I was syndicated by Salem. I'm an El Dorado. I'm a founding member. So, yes, I, I very much understand that. And so uh, I got pretty high name recognition. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, in my California race, there were 150,000 individual donors. Uh, and I think the metric is going to be for the Milwaukee debate, probably have to have at least 50,000 uh, individual donors. I don't think we're going to have any difficulty reaching that. All right. Well, that's that's so that's one of the the micro uh, steps in between uh, now and then. Uh, There's also going to be a pretty interesting field that's already starting to form. You've got Nikki Haley. You've obviously got 45. uh, You've got um, the uh, entrance of uh, who just announced uh, last week. Um, Say that. Asa Hutchinson just announced today. Yeah, well, Asa Hutchinson, John Bolton technically announced a few weeks back. I mean, there's a lot of kind of interesting characters that are kind of fringe, but I don't really consider you one of those. You, you're you're someone who has a serious message and has made at least a serious attempt at a very, very ambitious uh, run for office. It's it's not a the last Republican governor of California was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that was eons ago. Um, so you, you can't be laughed off as someone who, you know, is not uh, serious about what you're doing. Um, but there are some t- intangibles that you bring to the race that no one else in that field does. And talk about that uh, for us a little bit, your appeal to voters that Republicans don't normally attract. Right. But before I, I, I get into that, I just wanted to mention about the, uh, the gubernatorial thing. Uh, keep in mind, California is the fourth largest country uh, in the world, if it were a separate country. Uh, and I ran for that top job. And there was another fellow who ran unsuccessfully for governor, uh, became a uh, two twice elected uh, president. His name was Richard Nixon. And uh, Donald Trump hadn't won, hadn't run for anything, let alone uh, for the largest state in the union. So there's that. But here's what I think I bring to the table, Kevin, to answer your question. Notice notice how much of a politician I've become already. Uh, uh, this notion that uh, America is systemically racist, which, which is what drives the Democrat Party, that's their narrative, and the reason they do it is not so much that I believe they all believe it. I believe that they want to make sure that Black people think of themselves as victims, as eternally oppressed, 
and therefore they will pull that lever for the Democratic Party like Lemmings because the Democrats have successfully uh, positioned themselves as the a party that cares about social justice and inequities. We wear the white hat in that battle. And these SOBs, these Republicans wear the black hat. Uh, without getting that nearly 90 to 95 percent black vote, they cannot win at the presidential level. And they know it. I can refute that narrative, I think, in a more effective way than probably most of the other people can. Having been raised in the inner city, my father never knew his biological father, uh, left home at the age of 13, Athens, Georgia, Jim Crow South, joined the Marines. He ended up cleaning toilets, two full-time jobs, started a little cafe in his uh, in his late 40s, ran it until his uh, mid-80s. And my dad, when he retired, owned that little restaurant, the piece of property next door, plus the house we still have in our family. And when my dad retired, his net worth was a little bit under a million dollars. That's what you can do in America. And my dad, by the way, was a lifelong Republican and said this about Democrats. Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. Uh, and so this message that the police, for example, are engaging in systemic racism against black people, not only is just wrong, not only does it insult cops, not only does it demoralize cops, it's causing what's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect, uh, which is that cops are no longer proactive in policing. And as a result, there are thousands of so-called excess deaths. In other words, people who died because bad guys are in the streets who otherwise wouldn't have been in the streets if the police had been doing their normal proactive policing. Well, that's... And that's a very sad outcome. But, Larry, you know, it's a real one that is impacting cities like New York and others. We're speaking with presidential candidate Larry Elder. Uh, stay with us. More to come on that. Kevin McCullough Radio. Breaking news as it happens. You're listening to Kevin McCullough Radio. All right. I continue with my good friend, Larry Elder. And, Larry, we interrupted you as we were coming to the end of the last segment. But I don't want any of the things you had to say to be missed because when we're talking about fathers being important in the households, uh, it just doesn't get more important than that. But you had another couple of points that you were wanting to make before we had to take the break. The other bad thing about this is that if you tell young black men that the police are out to get you, why in the world would they comply? Virtually all of these high profile deaths and shootings would have avoided, would have been avoided if the black person has simply complied. Comply, you won't die. But if I'm uh, a young black man and I've been fed this lie by people like Barack Obama and Eric Holder, why should I pull over? The cop's gonna hurt me and why should I uh, uh, follow his, his, his orders? If I'm gonna get hurt anyway, so why don't I just uh, resist? And that's what's going on here. The other thing I, bring, I think I bring to the table, Kevin, is to talk about the 10,000 pound elephant in the room that people on our side don't like talking about. And that is the number one social problem in America is the epidemic of fatherlessness. 70% of black kids into the world without a father in the home married to the mother, 50% of Hispanic kids, 25% of white kids, 40% of all kids in America enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. And forget about elder Barack Obama once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up behind bars. I believe the welfare state has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility, and we need to talk about this. I think you are correct. Larry, uh, you and I have known each other a long time, and um, I'll never forget uh, a morning that we had breakfast uh, together. I think we were at the uh, uh, presidential convention covering it for talk radio for Salem at the time. But we had a very kind of elongated breakfast uh, at the at the hotel uh, cafe there. And we talked at some depth about the importance of fathers. And we just went to break. You were bringing up this issue of fatherlessness in the country. 
um, there's not going to be a discussion on the debate stage for either party on that topic. You're going to have to wedge that in. But when you do, you're going to touch people in ways that no one else is going to have the really the, the wherewithal to be able to respond to on a practical level. How deep does that does that uh, topic touch people? Is it as important as uh, inflation in the economy and President Xi and all the things, all the other challenges that uh, Joe Biden has really uh, screwed up in our country? Uh, does that cut through to the level where people uh, really feel it and sense it? Yes, it's at least as important as those issues, Kevin, because what will come up on the stage is crime. Excuse me. What will come up on the stage uh, is the quality of our, of our government schools, the fact that because of COVID, kids already behind, lost a whole a year of math uh, and of reading. It's not just losing the whole year of math and reading. It translates into loss of, of earnings throughout their entire life. And this, again, is a function of the breakdown of the family. Uh, my good friend, uh, Walter Williams, once told me, the economist, if there's nobody in your house to make sure that you have been fed, clothed, housed, and educated, to make sure that you've done your homework and gone to bed on time, you are in deep, deep voodoo. And all too often, you do not have that kind of structure in the home. It has all sorts of other consequences. It also causes crime, an increase in crime. Uh, a young black male, age 10 to 34, uh, Kevin, I'm not kidding you, is 13 times more likely to be murdered than the young white male in the same demo. Mm. Uh, and almost always the murderer is another young black male, not some sort of racist cop. This, again, is a function of the breakdown of the family. Unless you're prepared just to say that blacks are just genetically inclined to commit more crime, you have to ask yourself, what the hell is going on here? And what's going on here is the absence of fathers. There's no question. Uh, and people that listen to my show uh, hear me uh, rail against that uh, regularly. And I'm thankful that you're willing to stand up and, and talk about it. But a fair uh, observation about that is if that is as important as those other questions, what does Larry Elder bring to those other issues? The inflation, the uh, foreign affairs, the national security, the the border, all the things, the, the freedom of speech that got taken away, the ability to to make vaccine decisions for ourselves. There's so much that uh, that is that is going to be in the mix this year uh, or this go around. What what is your what is your agenda? What is the elder plan? My feeling, Kevin, not having uh, heard all the other candidates, is that for the most part, uh, we all pretty much have the same views about uh, about inflation, the excessive spending, uh, not paying people not to work, uh, the war on oil and gas, the fact that the borders are porous, the wall needs to be built. We ought to have a choice uh, in uh, in education. Uh, uh, we ought to reduce regulations. I think all of us, if we're if we're from the Republican wing, Republican Party, pretty much have those views. Uh, regarding forty five that you brought up earlier. I think most Republicans have two views. There are people who love Donald Trump and there are people who love Donald Trump's policies, but fear that Donald Trump cannot win a rematch against uh, Joe Biden in November of 24 for reasons that are often entirely unfair. Much of the country despises this man, particularly suburban women, which is where the, uh, the, the, the election will be won and lost. It may be unfair, but it's in the cake. And so the question is, is there a candidate who's got the policies that we enjoyed uh, during the 45 uh, during 45's administration, but has a personality, a likability, a relatability that people who otherwise would not pull the lever for 45 will pull the lever for you. And I think I, I, I think I fit I fit that bill. There's there's an obvious historical analogy that I want to bring up here. And thank you for taking the uh, the nose by the horns there, uh, the bull by the horns. Um, the 
the very famous uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson um, ran for president. It seemed like almost as an industry at a certain point in time in his career. And when he was asked at one point in time, uh, why are you doing this? Because no one thought he was going to ever get the nomination. Um, he said there are many reasons to run for an office other than to win the election. And people are making that observation about the Republican field. I haven't heard anybody say your name specifically, but they're saying Nikki Haley's running for vice president and Mike Pompeo, if he had decided to run, was running for secretary of state or defense. Um, when and if this objection is raised, what is Larry Elder's answer on the trail? It's real simple. I'm running to win and I'm not running against uh, 45, I'm not running against Ron DeSantis, I'm not running against Nikki Haley. I'm running against the Harris Biden administration. We cannot endure four more years of, of uh, taxing, spending of the way he pulled out from Afghanistan, of the way that he uh, browbeat uh, states into shutting down their economies because of COVID. Uh, we can't take this uh, the way that uh, he paid people not to work. Uh, and so that you can't uh, there was a study done by a bunch of economists, Bank of America, Kevin, that found out that people who made 30 grand or less were better off staying home. And he was advised against this by Larry Summers, the former secretary of Treasury, Democrat under Bill Clinton, and did it anyway. So uh, we cannot endure four more years of five million illegal aliens coming across our borders, having no idea who they are, where they are. Several of them are on, very likely on the terror watch list. And whoever the nominee is. I think it's in our, our job to coalesce behind him or her and make sure that we defeat a Biden-Harris in November of 2024. I am still doubtful that Biden will even make it to the election of 2024, but he announced his plans this week. It's obvious that he is uh, moving forward with that. Our guest has been Larry Elder. Uh, Larry, if people want to support you and get involved, um, and again, I'm I'm staying pretty much Switzerland. I'm, I'm going to talk to all of you. I'm going to try to give all of the uh, uh, viewers and listeners to what I do the best opportunity to hear the ideas that are out there. Um, if people want more information, where do they go? Elderforpresident.com. That's elderforpresident.com. Throw something in the chat. Help me out. <laughs> Larry Elder, uh, great seeing you, friend. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Don't go away.